Last week, we welcomed in John Garcia Jr., Locked On's new college football recruiting insider for the first time to share just a little bit with us. Today, we're having a John Garcia day. He's with us for the whole show to talk about Carolina's incoming transfers, the two that are already with Carolina, Noah Taylor, Corey Gaynor, and to look ahead to Spencer Rolland, who will be coming in after his year finishes. Also, there's a whole lot of stuff that's going on in the recruiting world that's just completely changed with the transfer rule, NIL, all this stuff going on. And so John's going to help us unpack that and how it's changed what he does. All of that on today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Thursday, April 21st, 2022. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, beat writer for Sports Illustrated's All Tar Heels website. And I want to thank you for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listen every single day. Please don't forget that we are free and available wherever you get podcasts. So please go subscribe right now. Would love to have you as part of this family. Also, for those of you watching, thanks for making this the first thing you watch every single day. And if you're on YouTube, go ahead, subscribe, smash that like button. Let us know you're here. It means so much and is so helpful. Thank you in advance for doing that. Today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Well, as I said in the cold open today, we're talking with John Garcia about incoming transfers the entirety of the show. And so can't wait for you to hear what John Garcia has to say. It's great stuff. So dial in, lock in, and let's go. It is so good to be joined again this week by John Garcia Jr., who's newly part of the Locked On family, part of Sports Illustrated, as you can see from his wonderful background right there if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, but man, what what a great opportunity for us at Locked On to have John Garcia Jr. and all of his wonderful insight and recruiting knowledge. And so, John, thank you so much for being here. Just want to get right into it today. So yeah, let's we're, do it, Isaac. Absolutely. We're talking mostly transfers today. Carolina has two that are already on campus, another one coming after his year is over. But that brings up an important thing that I want to talk through in this first segment with you, John, today. And that is, it used to be pretty easy calculus for you. You look at all these high school guys, who they are, where they might fit, uh, what their skill level is, evaluate all that stuff, and make predictions about where they ultimately go. But now, with the one-time transfer rule, it's like you have to do this all over again. What what has that changed for what you do? A lot. Uh, every <laughs> single element of, of recruiting coverage has changed really over the last few years. If you throw in the pandemic, you throw in the transfer portal, now you're throwing in NIL. I mean, the whole business feels totally different than it did, you know, three years ago. But the one-time transfer rule is still a, about as strong a change as, as we've dealt with in the recruiting industry. And, and yeah, it used to be pretty cut and dry, right? It was just grad transfers, and, and you had one free one after that point. So you didn't really have to worry about it for most kids. But now, every single year, there are kids transferring at any given time. I just saw a kid who uh, enrolled in January already in the portal out of Utah, 
and he's now already looking for a second school in four months. So it, it's just at any given point in time, these kids can make a move. And it's, it's made us all, um, you know, like you said, more more math inclined now because we now have to say, oh, what, what about this eligibility? And then the pandemic year, you factor in a red shirt. So now we're all doing a little bit more math, which nobody in our business likes. And then we're also doing a whole lot of, of re-recruiting, right? Uh, covering a kid that we talked about four or five years ago. And now it's like, oh, hey, um, I should not have unfollowed him on Twitter because now I need to re-engage <laughs> and figure out like how things are going. So it's created an entirely new industry, new rankings, new predictions, and then how it affects these recruiting classes. Do you consider them recruits for the year they're getting there? How do you factor it in with the high school kids? So we still have yet to make some of those decisions at Sports Illustrated because it has been so frantic and complicated. So to say it's changed everything would, would not be uh, an overstated measure. And, and that's pretty crazy in, in this day and age, but something we're still trying to adjust with on the fly. Yeah, very excited to see how, how Sports Illustrated and all these entities handle that. As, as I look at recruits' um, recruitment pages, yeah, it has all their high school stuff, and then it'll add who who they are committing to in the transfer portal, and, and all that is now part of it. So good luck. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> how, like, obviously we're getting to the back end of that COVID eligibility that you talked about. As, as all that seemed to hit at the same time, the, the extra year COVID eligibility, NIL that you talked about coming into the picture, and the one-time transfer portal, obviously that just exponentially makes it worse. How do you think as we kind of run out of those COVID eligibility years, is that going to help draw it back in a little bit, you think? It is because it takes out some of the calculation because I think a lot of schools are obviously coveting players that benefited from that extra year of eligibility, but I think on, on the other side, on their own rosters, there's this numbers crunch where it's like, oh, no, I thought you were a senior because you've got two <laughs> degrees by now. And, and you're still you still have another year of eligibility. I, a lot of coaches have been caught by surprise, which all that does is it puts a numbers crunch on that school. So now guess what? More kids hit the transfer portal because now all of a sudden it was an oversight by a head coach or a position coach or whatnot. So I think that's why you're seeing the portal basically being used consistently and, and we'll see it again after this next weekend of of spring football games because uh some of these schools are going to say hey you know we appreciate your four five even six years at our school but it, it's time to move on you know say it without saying it kind of deal so a lot of politicking going on right now even internally on a college football roster and, and coaches have told me roster management is the hardest thing about college football right now because that scholarship limit is still at 85 and has not moved one direction or the other. And, and, and that's probably the next step in this evolution, figuring out can that number go up? And if so, how much, how does title nine get affected by that? Mm -hmm. How does other sports get? I mean, it, it just becomes another snowball effect of, of craziness. So it is really hard for these coaches to, to break down their own roster. And some have even joked about it being easier in the NFL when you're dealing with salary caps and free agency. <laughs> Oof. It, it, wow. Yeah, absolutely. And and to that point, uh, we that brings back in the NIL stuff that you talked about. For those who might not be aware, this is name, image, and likeness. Uh, if you've been paying attention to college sports at all, you know that's a thing, but maybe you haven't really looked into it so much. And so, John, obviously there's supposed to be some regulation with this, but as we know, the NCAA, instead of getting out ahead of it, got pulled fighting and kicking and screaming into it by state laws that were coming into effect. 
So how has that wild, wild west nature of NIL affected things? Does it seem to you like schools are approaching it above board or are schools trying to be shady about it? I mean, there's always a gray area, right? To play on, play on the word shady there. There's always a gray area <laughs> with, with NIL uh, and paying players in any way, shape or form. And I think there's a lot of misconception about it as well. You know, it, it can't come from the school technically, but obviously, again, that's where the shadiness comes in. I mean, you don't think a big donor who has a company two blocks from campus, uh, you don't think they're getting a phone call from from the head coach? You know, I don't want to name names, but come on. I mean, it's 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 a it's a talent acquisition business, and if there's mm-hmm. an advantage at at acquiring a specific talent, you're, you're going to try to flirt with that gray area. So I do think that schools have tried to play things uh, down the line. Every compliance department is is probably up to the brim and emails and questions about this deal versus that deal what can we do what can't we do uh but but in reality uh it's always going to play a part in, in deciding where kids go and i do think that it has caused a bit of a shift with the second tier schools i think tier mm-hmm. one you know alabama ohio state georgia clemson they're still going to be there right I, I think that's a given i think everybody understands that whether or not they jump into nil or not and most of them have anyway But the tier two schools that have kind of been on the bubble, I think those are the schools that we're starting to Mm -hmm. see a lot of movement with NIL. And now all of a sudden that could be one of the factors that bumps them up to tier one eventually because they do have a better shot at acquiring that much more talent. So it is a slippery slope, but it's still brand new. So we're still learning a lot basically every day that this thing rolls on. Yeah, you mentioned the compliance departments. I feel so bad for these guys trying to, they probably don't even know half the time what's legit and what's not. So before we dive into these specific players that have transferred to Carolina, one of the interesting things I want to note is the Tar Heels have three guys coming in, two of whom are intra-conference guys coming from, one from Miami, one from Virginia, and that's obviously a new thing. I know previously the ACC, for example, has had a no-transfer clause within the conference. And so how are some of those dynamics changing? Yeah, I think the ACC was was not alone in that. You, you saw a lot of conferences really double down on, hey, you can make your move, but just don't make it in-house per se. I mean, I remember um, at Alabama, uh, there was a defensive back from Texas who wanted to go from Alabama to Georgia, and, and it was something that Nick Saban and, and crew doubled down on and, and went like, to, to the SEC about, and it became this huge deal. Eventually, uh, Maurice Smith did play at Georgia, and he had a great year and, and all of that, but it was a huge deal, and that was like four years ago, five years ago. It wasn't even that long ago, and now we're seeing it happen all the time, and, and to bring it back to those two, I mean, the leading wide receiver from Georgia is now playing at Alabama. I mean, Jermaine Burton. So it is it is totally, like, backed off, and, and this is going to become – commonplace and like you said i mean for carolina to have a former virginia cavalier and miami hurricane on the roster it is odd not only are they you know conference mates those are division rivals right so it's <laughs> it's a whole it's a whole different ball game there but but i do think that's the new normal because of that one-time transfer rule it is very much in in favor of player mobility and mm-hmm. fluidity and, and i think there's really going to be no restrictions against it other than the timelines. I think the best way for one school to keep them away from, from an interconference rival is, is by trying to hold on to them throughout the spring, because then when you make a transfer, 
in certain conferences, then it slows down your eligibility to play in that conference uh, in the following fall. So I think there's still some some gray areas that schools can lean into, but uh, those are becoming fewer and far between. Oof. It is a brand new landscape out there, folks. Thank you, John, for helping us just begin to unpack some of that. Hopefully this is informative to everyone out there listening. So here in just a second, we're going to look at that Virginia Cavalier transfer, Mr. Noah Taylor, and what he's going to bring to Gene Chizik's new defense. But first, let me tell you about Athletic Greens. This partner is something that I know a lot of people who use literally every day. I look forward to trying Athletic Greens soon myself because I want better gut health and more energy, and I hate trying to remember to take pills and everything else every single day. What is Athletic Greens? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, all of this to help you start your day the right way. The special blend of ingredients helps support, again, your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, and more. One of the things I love is that Athletic Greens is lifestyle friendly to whatever your diet is. Whether that's keto, which I'm on right now, hating my life, I need sugar. Paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, whatever it is, it works with all of that. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin every day. And if you do so, it's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients like AG1 that your body will actually absorb. And the best news is, when you choose Athletic Greens, it costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially as uh, people are getting sick and all that's going on. There's like stomach bugs going around where I live. It's awful. Again, just one scoop every day in a cup of water. That's it. No need for a million pills or anything else. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com college. Again, that's athleticgreens.com college to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. One week from today, April 28th, Thursday, tune in to Locked On NFL Draft's live coverage of the 2022 NFL Draft with three days worth of real-time analysis from our extensive lineup of experts and insiders. And for those of you dying to know who your team's going to take in advance, we got you covered there too. So catch Odyssey and Locked On's NFL Mock Draft Special hosted by Brian Peacock and former scout Matt Williamson of the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show all week long leading up to that first pick. All right, we are back here on Locked on Tar Heels with Mr. John Garcia Jr. Right now we're talking Carolina incoming transfers. First off, on the defensive side of the football, one of the big things here is that Carolina has a brand new defensive coordinator, although someone who had a little bit of success with Mac Brown previously, and that is Gene Chizik, who won a national championship with Mac Brown at Texas. And so Carolina brings in Noah Taylor from Virginia, who's played his career there, and now he shifts to the Tar Heels after wrecking them last season with 12 tackles in that showdown. And so John Garcia Jr., what what have you got for us about Noah Taylor? I just love his positional fit at Carolina. I think that was really the biggest change for him that he might have needed. You know, at UVA, even though he was so good against Carolina, 
much more of a conventional linebacker off of the football, playing at the second level, navigating more on the interior of the defense where he obviously had a ton of success. I mean, this is a three, four year starter for the Cavs that, that have flashed defensively at different points. But I think where he's going to play at Carolina, a little bit more on the outside, a little bit more of a jack position, yeah. that's where he's a little bit more at home. Long kid, lean, 235 pounds or so, built to rush the passer. And now you think of him and, and like Desmond Evans coming off the edge together, and it becomes quite the package for North Carolina. So I think for, for Noah, positionally, and, and maybe thinking about a career professionally, uh, bolstering his pass rushing skill set and, and eventually his stats and, and the impact he has coming off the edge could be a, a lot more fruitful for him if he is, you know, lucky enough to be a Sunday player. So it kind of schematically makes sense. But again, just kind of weird seeing it interconference, especially when he was so good against UNC. Yeah. And you talk about if he's lucky enough to be a Sunday player, do you see the intangibles, the body that he has to be able to make that jump? I do. I think physically he's ready. He's got a ton of experience. You know, Virginia did move him around a good bit, uh, but I think, you know, being a little bit more stationary as a pass rusher will add to that arsenal. So now NFL teams can say, okay, well, we can use him as a traditional inside linebacker and maybe he can captain our defense or we can use him as a situational pass rusher and a guy who can help get after the passer because after all, that's that's really what football's become uh, all about, right? Either protecting the passer, uh, getting after him, or or enhancing his ability to make plays. So it's really centered on that position. So if you can if you can threaten the passing game, you've got a chance. And I think that adding that consistency to his skill set will certainly help him uh, have a little bit more value uh, come Sundays. Yeah, absolutely. And and when you look at his numbers at Virginia, they don't necessarily pop off the page. They're solid numbers. But um, Coach Mac Brown had a press conference on Tuesday, along with both of his offensive or with both of his coordinators, excuse me. And direct quote that he said about Noah Taylor is that he has maybe been our best pass rusher throughout the entire spring. Um, is Mac Brown someone you know to be someone that just throws those kind of phrases around? Or when he says that, can you take it to the bank? I think you can take it to the bank. I think he, you could also use that to motivate, you know, the rest of your guys uh, on that roster. And it's a good time of year to throw in some motivation, right? I mean, springtime, a lot of these guys are going to go home for just a little bit. So if they're more inclined to work towards something, I think that's a smart play. But you know, he's got the experience a ton at UVA. Uh, he, he did get after the passer a little bit at Virginia, but it was more so, again, from a conventional linebacker positioning as a blitzer. But, but some of those traits, you know, cross over to a traditional edge. You know, you've got to be able to play the run fit. You've got to be able to get off blocks, and you've got to be instinctive and athletic enough to time uh, your attack. So I do think that it makes sense, again, with this transfer, probably, you know, it was probably sold – in the recruiting pitch by Mac, by Gene Chizik, like, hey, we're going to use you as a pure pass rusher for the most part. You can always go back and say, hey, well, maybe we want you to do a little bit of, of traditional stuff too. But if you know you're going to get after the passer and have a chance to impact that position in the ACC, it, it's hard to pass up. And clearly uh, that looks like something that was important to Noah when he made that move. Yeah, 
Man, that's great. And something with, you mentioned Gene Chizik coming in. One of the nice things for Carolina is that he just brings in this see ball, <laughs> find ball, hit ball carrier uh, mentality. And it, it really sounds like that's what Noah Taylor is going to be able to do. You mentioned he is a jack linebacker. For those who are listening or watching that might not be familiar with that language and you're used to just traditional inside or outside linebacker, uh, Jack is just kind of short for Jack of all trades linebacker can do what John is talking about, get to the passer, drop in coverage or whatever. And so how will Gene Chizik's simplified defensive scheme really allow Taylor to, to blossom and flourish? I think like you said, it's, it's simplified. So he can now just rely on all that experience he has, regardless of his responsibility within a given defense. You know, he's had experience setting the edge. He's had experience rushing the passer. He has experience dropping into coverage, reading and reacting. And now he'll be able to just focus on whatever that responsibility is on a given play, as opposed to getting guys lined up and, and trying to figure out how to stunt based on the front he sees and things like that. So when you're a more aggressive defensive coordinator like Gene Chizik is, typically it helps the young guys because they can just see ball, get ball. But again, if you think of it in a certain sense, you know, Noah's playing a new position, you know, for for. for for better or worse, he's playing a new position. So now he can be a little bit more free in that new role, despite all the experience he does have. So I think it works on both ways uh, with, with Noah Taylor. And and the praise from Mac Brown is is quite interesting. You know, a lot of pressure building up on him. But again, he, he, I'm sure he wants his name in the papers and online yep. Yep. And, and all Absolutely. of that, you know, to, to build some of that resume. That's great. And and just to tease you guys uh, a little bit a couple of weeks ahead, one of the things that we're going to talk to John about soon is just with a new defensive coordinator coming in, how long does it take to make that shift personnel-wise? So just uh, get your ears and eyes ready for that coming up with John in a couple weeks. Well, as we turn to the page to our last segment, we want to look ahead to Carolina's two other incoming transfers, both of whom are offensive linemen who also have a new positional coach. So we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But first, let me tell you about BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Find all the latest developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the beginning of the MLB season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering info, from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn about all the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. Once again, we are here on Locked on Tar Heels. I'm joined today by John Garcia Jr., recruiting football insider. It is so great to have John with us. We change our uh, attention now from the defensive side of the ball to the offensive line, a place where Carolina had some struggles in the 2021 season and have looked to solidify that through the transfer portal in the form of two different young men, one coming in from Miami and one who will probably be the smartest member of the team as he transfers in from Harvard after this school year is over. But before we get to them, John, one of the uh, facets, facets of this, similar to the defense, is Carolina lost their offensive line coach at literally at the beginning of spring practice to the reigning national champion Georgia Bulldogs. And on, on Wednesday, as they began spring practice, hired uh, Jack Bicknell away from Louisville, and he was coaching on the field the next day on Thursday. What? How? Like, what do you do with that as an offensive lineman? Well, you just say, hey, you know, we, we've got to kind of start all over, right? And I think that's kind of the theme of the position group in general, right? A lot of turnover from last year in and out with the portal, 
just a couple of guys with that tangible experience at Carolina anyway. So it, it kind of reinvigorates the competitive nature at just literally by day, the right time mm. for Carolina, because that was the position group that fairly unfairly is, is scrutinized the most, particularly on offense. Um, and, and I think that's part of what played into some of the disappointments of the 2021 season and, and trying to protect uh, Sam Howell. So Absolutely. I do think that that group needs uh, needed a total refresh uh, and it's going to get it in, in two ways. One, because spring always does that, right? It's always kind of a, okay, it's a new year, new position battles, maybe new positions for some of these guys. But when you bring in a new coach, it's a totally new impression that you're now trying to make. So I think both of those notes hit really well for North Carolina in this new hire. Um, obviously, the, schematically, you know, similar, right? Louisville is, is known uh, for as an explosive offense with a mobile quarterback, uh, and, and that puts a lot of stress on offensive linemen. So I think schematically, the hire makes a lot of sense, but for those players and mentally, it is a true refresh in both spring and in the calendar, but also in the coach that you're trying to impress and learn from simultaneously. Good. I love that. One of the, one of the things that coach Mac Brown has talked a lot about is wanting to get legitimately too deep at each position. And so Carolina does have a returning center in Brian Anderson, who seems to be finally healthy this year. But the first of these transfers you want to talk about who was already in and was part of spring practice is uh, Corey Gaynor coming in from Miami. He's a big dude, 6'4", 309, um, has played, this will be his sixth year in college now. And so what does that experience, what, what does that um, anchoring in in the middle of the line do for the Tar Heels? It, well, it's going to push Brian Anderson, healthy or not. Uh, you just mentioned that that's a huge deal. And look, he's a center, right? He's a center. That, that's that's the anchor of the offensive line, both physically and figuratively in terms of getting everybody else right. But I do think Gainer's got some ability to potentially play guard uh, in a pinch. So when you start talking about too deep, I think conventionally you think of of 10 different players, right? Five yeah. starters, five yeah. backups. But yeah. along the offensive line, it's usually not that simple. You usually have swing players who have to play multiple positions, depending on which one is banged up or out for that week or has a penalty, something like that. So I do think Gaynor <laughs> brings a little bit of, of positional versatility, but of course, a ton of experience um, and, and maturity to that position that really demands it, right? I mean, that mm. it's a whole new offensive line room. Him coming in, uh, in the spring gives him the opportunity to be a leader sooner rather than later. He's probably the oldest lineman on the roster, I would imagine. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's like class of 2017. I mean, those yeah. those guys are like, yeah, Tua Tango Bailo is like in his third year in the NFL, right? So it's, yeah. the, those are the, the guys he came in with, you know, so I, I do think that it provides maturity. And for him, a, a nice change of pace. Obviously, Miami went through a coaching change. So naturally, one of those situations where kids do look to move on in that pandemic year, along with another red shirt, gives him a couple years of, of eligibility uh, to this point. So I do think it's it's an important to create competition, not only with the setting in terms of spring football and a new position coach, but also between player and player uh, yeah. as they try to learn this new system all at the same time. And that's great. And as you mentioned, Sam Howell is now gone. What What does having that experience, even if it is a transfer coming in, mean for a young talented but young quarterback whomever wins this battle for the Tar Heels oh it's huge it's huge you know you need guys who you can rely on uh, guys who can probably help you out right I mean if you're a lot of these quarterbacks are responsible for calling an audible relative to the set and the front that is presented to them 
who's going to help you best with that? Your center, because he's got to deal with the same thing. He's got to identify the mic and the front every single play in order to get his guy set in terms of where the protection is sliding and whatnot. So those two always have to be on the same page mentally anyway, in addition to obviously the physical connection, but mentally they've got to be on the same page. So regardless of who it is, it's going to be an experienced center who's kind of been there and done that uh, in this ACC uh, you know, competitive system and conference. So that's going to be just invaluable for whichever quarterback ends up winning the job, uh, especially, you know, these guys are mobile. These quarterbacks that are in it, they're yeah. mobile too. So it's it's really going to behoove of, of that quarterback to, to build a rapport with probably both of these guys at this point. That's great. And John, I know we got to get you out of here. So let me ask you quickly about Carolina's last transfer coming in. As we said from Harvard, this is Spencer Rolland, even taller than Gainer, 6'6", 285, um, bringing in, you know, he had um, initially said he was going to commit to Penn State, backed off of that, and now comes to be a Tar Heel following his graduation from Harvard. What can he bring again to this line? Yeah, another guy who, you know, intellectually and experience-wise, you, you should expect a lot from when he does get to Carolina. You don't you don't leave a school like that unless you really uh, have things figured out, you know. So I think like we talked about with Noah Taylor, where it's like he can play at a different space. For Taylor, it was positionally. And obviously for Roland, it's, it's at a different level. It's at the highest level yes. of college football. So it feels like a showcase year just like it does – for Noah Taylor. So I think he'll have a plenty of anticipation in, in getting to, to Chapel Hill for good, but there's no other 6'6", 285 pounder on this roster. You know, I think, <laughs> I think this, the, the solidity of this Carolina offensive line today is on the interior, right? We talked about mm. the competition at center. Uh, Ed Monolith and these guys have good experience at guard, but really a true tackle might not be on the roster, especially relative uh, experience wise compared to Rollins. So I do think that he's got some of those traits uh, and he's a balanced lineman. You know, you watch him on tape. He's incredibly quick. Harvard used him a lot in the run game. You don't wow. see a lot of right tackles pulling the way he does, <laughs> yeah. uh, which, which shows you what kind of athlete he is as well. So naturally, if you're a long athlete, that does help you in the pass protection game as well. So I, I like these players who transfer that have a lot to prove at their new stop. Usually it's because, oh, well, I didn't play at one school and now I'm going to show them why they should have played me. But for, for Noah Taylor and for Rollin, it's more of I was good and I played a ton at my old school. I'm just playing a showcase position or at a showcase level at this other school. So guys that have a lot to prove will typically put everything into it and throw in the Harvard education and all those assumptions. And it seems like a, a relatively safe bet for, for some playing time. Yeah, absolutely. This dude is a mechanical engineering major. Like, come on, what is that? Very quickly, and then we'll get you out of here. How much of a setback is it for him having not been part of spring ball? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. You, we've already talked about it, right? Uh, a ton of transition from the personnel department on the offensive line, a change at position coach along the offensive line. So it's a whole new scheme for everybody. So I do think that he would have had uh, invaluable reps in terms of picking it up. But with the communication that is and technology that's available now, I do think he could probably get caught up to speed quickly. And again, let's assume that he's a quick learner and he can figure <laughs> out these things a little bit, uh, a little bit more, uh, more quickly relative to to a high school student, even sure. right. I mean, he's a, sure. he's 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 got a ton of education behind him as well. So more mature, older player again. That that's why you go to the portal for experience, not just on the field, but but off the field, and how to handle and balance that life. 
as, as a student athlete, which we probably don't talk about enough. Interesting. We'll have to unpack that another time. That'd be a good one. <laughs> John Garcia, brother, thank you as always. Hope you have a great day. Can't wait to talk to you again soon. Sounds good, Isaac. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That's it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. Thanks again to John Garcia Jr. for joining us and all his great info. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter. Uh, great content coming out from him all the time. Again, as a reminder, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Help us get those numbers up so more people can hear and learn about the show. Another way to do that is to rate and review the show. Give it five stars. That would be awesome. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, please don't forget, subscribe, smash that like button, all of that good stuff. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Heels. You can follow me on Twitter at Isaac Shade. That's I-S-A-A-C-S-C-H-A-D-E. Coming up on tomorrow's show, Friday, it is the day, the last show before the um, deadline to declare for the NBA early entry happens. And so we're going to look a little bit at that, maybe prognosticate a little bit about what Caleb Love is going to do. Plus, part of that decision is Gigi Jackson, a recruit who Carolina fans are salivating over, and it sounds like he wants to be a Tar Heel, so we're going to talk about it. Thanks so much for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listen every day. Now, let me encourage you to make Locked on NFL Draft your second listen. Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker bring the NFL Draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. Hey, thanks so much for spending part of your Thursday talking Carolina sports with me, listening to the great insight from John Garcia Jr. Love hearing him. And hey, let me remind you, it's always a great day to be a target. Until tomorrow. Peace.